Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression, a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide, that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now, to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Quick note from the foundation, as you may have heard me talk about before, where we've embarked on our massive literature review to uncover every possible treatment for anxiety and depression and PTSD. Uh, we need help to get this done because it's going to require 5,000 plus sources, interviews, books, uh, peer-reviewed papers, etc. So to find out more about how you can help and bring this uh, bring this project to fruition, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. So today my guest is Jeffrey Smith. He's the founder and executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology and Protect Nature Now. And uh, he's a, an American consumer activist, an award-winning documentary film director, a best-selling author, and an internationally respected GMO activist. Um, I ran into him because uh, he had sent me a copy for review of his book, Seeds of Deception and Genetic Roulette. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. So, Jeff, thanks for coming. Happy to be here, Richard. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background. What was your interaction with, you know, health and things like that? Was it, you know, did it happen at the very beginning of your career? Or what's what's your... How has your career led you to this point, is what I'm saying? Well, I've been kind of a chronic do-gooder, working for nonprofits, also working for personal development and whatnot, and very much involved with education, communication, marketing. I have a master's in business. My mother was an educator till she was 84. My sister was a, was a college professor. My brother teaches teachers how to teach. And so I'm, I feel very much involved with strategic communication. So 25 years ago, I listened to a lecture by a whistleblower from the genetic engineering world who was saying they're about to introduce genetically engineered foods, and there's no way we can guarantee that these foods are safe. The technology is just simply prone to side effects. They don't even test to see what those side effects are, and they're about to release those foods into the food supply. And moreover, 
Once they plant a genetically engineered plant outside, it'll cross-pollinate and become a permanent part of the gene pool with enormous number of unpredictable interactions. And so he was telling me information that was devastating. It was a type A, class A, serious threat for human health and the environment. And literally no one I knew knew anything about a GMO, didn't know what the word was. I never heard of it. And they were about to plant and then harvest that year genetically engineered soy and corn in Iowa where I was living. And so I started thinking about it and say, how can I help in terms of a strategic communication angle? What can I say, et cetera, that'll really make a change here? And I started to chip in and help out the movement and created some angles. And I was reading regular reports from Europe and regular reports from the U.S. And the U.S. press was entirely basically censored from this topic. And no one, none of the other NGOs, nonprofits, none of them wanted to talk about the health dangers. Well, the, the good thing is nowadays that's all changed and there's no more censorship ideas are accepted. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. Perfect line, Richard. Absolutely. So it was interesting that, you know, at one point we were all excited because the Time Magazine International issue had, was a big article about GMOs. And when it came out in the U.S., that was gone. So I realized that I needed to get the information out in some way in the United States because it was consumer awareness of the health dangers, which ultimately stopped the food companies from continuing to sell it in the food supply in Europe. And yet the mainstream media was blocking the message here. So I basically created a strategic angle to convey the health dangers, targeting the most receptive people in the United States, using media channels that could reach them, put out the book Seeds of Deception, and gave a thousand lectures and a thousand interviews in 45 countries, five films, trained 1,500 people to speak on GMOs, organized over 10,000 activists, and now 51% of the U.S. population believes that GMO foods are not safe and 48% worldwide. So we've achieved the target that we had wanted, the tipping point, engaging lots of people who are now comfortable speaking about the health dangers and now looking at even more dangerous impacts of GMOs if we don't do something right away. So what are, has anyone studied them still yet to date? Or was there only a few lab experiments that kind of were were squashed that showed the uh, the impact of GMOs? Like, how do you know what they do now to the human body? Well, let me just tell people that a lot of people expect that the genetically engineered crops would be very carefully tested before put on the market. But the FDA policy was that no safety studies were needed, and they did it on the basis of a claim of a single sentence, that the agency wasn't aware of information showing that GMOs were different from regular foods. And that was a lie. It was a complete fabrication. It was exactly the opposite of what the consensus was among the scientists working at the FDA. But the person who was in charge of the policy of the FDA was Michael Taylor, Monsanto's former attorney. Monsanto, of course, was the big GMO giant. And Michael Taylor lied in the policy claiming that the agency wasn't aware of the information showing the foods were different, and then became Monsanto's vice president, and then later became the food czar under Obama. So it was entirely a lie. And 
the predictions among the scientists at the FDA were that GMOs might create toxins, which has been confirmed, allergens, which has been confirmed, creating new diseases or higher levels of existing diseases, which has been confirmed in terms of a, a lot of lines of evidence. And in particular, we have the GMOs, which are dangerous, and we have the Roundup, which is sprayed on most Roundup-ready GMO crops, designed not to die when sprayed with Roundup. And so we now have two poisons interacting. And then you have certain crops that are designed to produce a insecticide, which has been shown to also have damage for human health. So you have a, a number of things to look at. And what we've come up with in the last 25 years since I've been working on it is such overwhelming evidence that we've convinced tens of thousands of physicians to prescribe non-GMO and organic diets. And we have thousands of people reporting that when they do make the switch, they get better from a long list of diseases, the same diseases that were either indicated directly or by precursors of the animal feeding studies so that when the animals were force-fed GMOs around it, they experience those diseases or their precursors. So we also have evidence showing that many of those same diseases are rising in parallel with the increased use of GMOs and Roundup in the food supply. And we have pets and livestock who are also similarly affected by either eating GMOs or not. And we have so many doctors who swear that when they started, when GMOs started being introduced into the food supply, their population of patients got much sicker with new complicated diseases. And when they took those patients and put them on an organic diet, they reverted to what they had seen prior to the introduction of GMOs. Same with pets. So there's now so much evidence that has validated and vindicated the scientists at the FDA who are calling for required studies that we know that GMOs should never have been introduced and people should avoid eating them, but not just avoiding eating GMOs, because Roundup is not just sprayed on GMOs, it's sprayed on a lot of other non-GMO crops, so as we say, just eat organic. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit findinggeniuspodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. So where is the average person going to run into the uh, GMOs and glyphosate in the highest concentrations or in the worst forms? Like, what Are there any particular foods or places where you really should stay away from, if nothing else? That is a perfect question. So there's a dozen genetically engineered food crops. And because many of the top six are used in processed foods and in animal feed, if you simply get stuff in a can or a box, you're going to likely get a derivative of the genetically engineered soy, corn, cotton for cottonseed oil, canola for canola oil, sugar beets, which is for sugar, and alfalfa, which is used as animal feed. 
Those soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa are the six main GMOs. They all are sprayed with Roundup. Some produce their own toxic insecticide. Those are the ones that are planted to the millions of acres. In addition, you have some papaya from Hawaii or China, zucchini, yellow squash, uh, pink pineapple, and then there's a potato and an apple that are engineered not to turn brown when sliced. These are the 12 genetically engineered crops. Genetically engineered salmon may be on the market very soon. It was already sold in Canada. It could appear in, in restaurants in the United States soon. And then there's the animal products from animals that are fed GMOs, or in the case of dairy, injected with genetically engineered bovine growth hormone. So those are a category of things to avoid. You can go to responsibletechnology.org. That's the website for the Institute for Responsible Technology and get a list of those plus the derivatives of GM soy. So when you're looking at ingredients and if you don't know if it's a derivative, you'll be able to find out. But Roundup, which is the chief poison of Roundup is glyphosate. So they test for glyphosate residues. That's sprayed on oats and wheat and rice and potatoes and mung beans and lentils and basically the grains and the beans and a bunch of other things. And we have a report where we have put together all the different tests from the nonprofits that have done them, including our own, so that you can look in alphabetical order or by search, whether it's the raw ingredients, the fruits, the vegetables, the grains, etc., or even by brand name to see what the glyphosate residues are. And just as a rule of avoid oats unless it's organic, avoid wheat unless it's organic, Avoid the beans and the grains. Don't have hummus unless it's organic. If you want to avoid glyphosate, and if you know the details of it, you want to avoid glyphosate. Yeah, it's crazy that um, even with these 12 products, it's so pervasive. Like, what would you estimate, you know, for someone that doesn't know and goes to the store and picks up processed foods, like, what's the likelihood that they're going to be consuming glyphosate and or Roundup? Very, very high. If, if people buy the pro processed packaged foods, I'd say nine out of 10 of them have some derivative. Now, the more refined it is, the more fractionated it is, the less likely the dangers of GMOs will be will be strong. They can still be there. Um, but it's going to be there in nine out of 10 packaged processed foods. Glyphosate, if you add that to it, it increases it even more. So if you eat if you eat in the produce aisle and you get the fresh fruits and vegetables and whatnot, a lot less are going to have glyphosate residues. There's very few GMOs in that section of the store. So, uh, But if you start to eat organic, then you're going to have products that are not allowed to use GMOs or Roundup. And whatever percentage of contamination there is, it's probably very, very small. Okay. So you've been looking at GMOs for how long? 15, 20 years? Or 25 long? years. 25 years. Wow. How, how have they changed over the 25 years? Have there been any changes? Have they been made any more safe or are they just out there? That's it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. They've actually been made more dangerous, it's odd to say. Okay. The first ones were like soy and corn and canola, the, the Roundup Ready. What happened is the next big danger was the double-stranded RNA insert into potatoes and apples. To give you a thumbnail, the person who developed the genetically engineered potato that did not turn brown when it was sliced, he wrote a book after he left 
after we retired, and the book was uh, Pandora's Potato, The Worst GMO. He was the developer of it, and yet in his book, it was page after page of all the ways that it could actually cause significant health damage as well as environmental problems. He was not aware of that when he developed the potato for Simplot. So the process of double-stranded RNA silencing the gene that produces the brown effect when you slice the potato, one of the many things that can go wrong is that little strip of RNA is designed to find and react with the complementary sequence in the genome of the potato. But if you eat the potato or the apple, which has the same mechanism, that little strip of RNA could find and interact with your own genome because it will find a sequence that is exactly the same or similar to its little 22 base pair strip among the 2 billion base pairs of the human genome, and it may silence the production of whatever that section is creating, and it could be a disaster. So in other words, eating the genetically engineered pre-sliced apples or the potatoes that don't turn brown could theoretically reprogram your DNA. And it gets worse, Richard, because you asked the progression. That's a few years old. Now we have a situation where a new type of genetic engineering is made popular. In the past, if you wanted to create soy or corn that was genetically engineered, you'd take genes from bacteria or viruses and you'd put it into a gun. You'd coat millions of particles of tungsten or gold and shoot those particles with a gun. It was originally done with a 22 caliber into a plate of cells, hoping that some of those genes made it into the DNA of some of those cells, and then you would clone them into plants. Or you use bacteria to smuggle those genes into the cells and then clone them. The process creates massive collateral damage in the DNA, and that damage exists in every cell that is part of the genetically engineered plant. Now, they can insert into the plant, sometimes through the same ballistics and sometimes through the same smuggling of the bacteria. They insert genetic scissors with a guide. The guide, just like that RNA before, the guide lines up with a certain section of the DNA. But in this case, instead of simply silencing it, it cuts it. It cuts it and it cuts it in a way so that it can remove a section or add a section of DNA that it's carrying with it. And this is called... Oh, this is like the CRISPR-Cas9 stuff. Precisely. This is CRISPR-Cas9, one of the methods of gene editing. Now, what's interesting is you're reading in the book Seeds of Deception, which I sent you, all these lies about the safety of GMOs, that it's safe and predictable and more precise than, than um, breeding. All lies, all proven to be lies. So now what is the biotech industry doing? They're saying, oh, gene editing, safe, predictable, more precise. It's the same words. It's the same sentence structure. And it is not true. It causes massive collateral damage. It can cause chromosome shatter to rearrange. It can pick up bacterial genes from the Petri dish. It can pick up cow genes from the Petri dish and shove them into the mouse genome. It is absolutely as one writer wrote, chromosomal mayhem. 
And yet, the biotech industry has convinced numerous governments to turn a blind eye and not regulate anything that's the product right. of gene editing. And so you can buy a gene editing kit on Amazon for $169. If you invest one to $2,000, you can have a lab to create a new GMO microbe every day, give it a name and then send it outside and alter the nature of nature forever because you can't recall a genetically engineered organism once you put it in the environment. If it survives, it may displace its normal counterpart. It may interrupt normal sequences. And basically, if you've ever, I know that you've done some research on the microbiome through your right. interviews, it is a mission critical, life critical, fundamental aspect of human health and the environment. And yet if you genetically engineer a microbe, it can travel the world, it can swap genes with other microbes and slight changes in the microbiome can damage ecosystems or collapse them, not only outside of us, but also inside of us. And so imagine if a million genetically engineered gene edited microbes are released over this generation in high school classes in college classes in government and private laboratories, for whatever reason, it could destroy the brilliant magnificence of the microbiome and in an irreversible, untrackable way, bestowing on all future generations a, a little genetic time bomb destroyed King set of kingdoms that have co-evolved with us so brilliantly that we actually outsource 90% of our daily metabolic functions to the microbiome and rely on the 3.5 million genes of the microbiome inside us because we can't get along with just the 22,000 that we have in our cells, which is less than earthworms. And we are willing to risk that because we are not paying attention to the vast beauty of nature the complexity of the microbiome and the ability of even a single genetically engineered microbe to wreak havoc. Well, quick question here. When we eat foods, what happens to the genetic material of the food? Like if I eat some raw carrots or even, well, I guess not cooked carrots, but let's say I eat some raw food. What happens to the genes that are in the food? Do you think that they interact with us in any way? Does our body use any of the genetic material of what we consume? What we do know is that the RNA in that carrot or kale or whatever can program our genetic expression. So this is an interesting thing that people think that, you know, food is the vitamins and the minerals and the micronutrients and maybe the phytochemicals, but it's also the RNA. And this is not, even though this is very, very modern, it's also an ancient understanding. Ayurveda talks about food as having an intelligence that gets transferred somehow into the body. And they talk about a sequence as well. And it's actually the case that one of the qualities of the food is its ability to turn on and off genes in our bodies. Now, I was interviewing a bunch of very, very top uh, physicians and scientists for a summit I did called Healing from GMOs and Roundup. And one of those people was Dietrich Klinghardt. And he brought in another aspect. He said that in the case of St. John's wort, which is an herb, half of the uh, studies show that it works very well, and the other half show that it doesn't work at all. But if you look at how the St. John's wort was prepared for those two studies, you might conclude that where the microbiome that was part of the plant was intact, that it had the effect. So one theory, which is not a theory that I know enough about to endorse, I'm just sharing, is that one another aspect of food is the microbiome on the food. He said that, you know, lettuce and, and those type of salad greens 
we may only be able to digest 5% of them, and yet they're healthy. Maybe it's the microbiome on them that in part renders our health better, and we're not paying attention to that. So you asked about the genes, and I said, well, the RNA we know about, and now we are suspecting that the microbiome accompanying the food might also have an impact. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, we do I mean, know that if you, eat, if you eat genetically engineered foods, that the the DNA of those foods will end up in different organs. Uh, but we don't have evidence whether that DNA sections have integrated into human cells. Um, we do have the single study uh, that was published in 2004 in Nature Biotechnology that verified that part of the gene that was inserted into soybeans to allow the soybeans not to die when sprayed with Roundup, that section transferred into the DNA of bacteria living inside us. Now, the fact that genes can transfer from genetically engineered crops into our gut microbiome is very, very serious. Think, for example, of the corn that produces the insecticide called Bacillus thuringiensis, or Bt. It's mm. a toxin that can poke holes in human in human cells in a laboratory. It's designed to poke holes in the guts of insects to kill them. It has a allergic potential, so people can or animals can get allergic type responses. Now imagine if you're eating a corn chip from Monsanto's corn, bought by Bayer, so we can use them interchangeably, and that corn is engineered to produce a toxic insecticide Bt. It's a gene that produces the protein that's toxic. What if that gene transfers to our gut bacteria? It might reprogram it so that our own intestinal flora become living pesticide factories. No one has studied to see if that happened when, the, when we found out that the soybean gene transferred. The, the UK, pro-GMO pro UK government, pulled all funding before they could find out if anything else transferred. But that might explain why 93% of the pregnant women tested in Canada had BT toxin in their blood. It's well, a one thing you wrote uh, in your book that I thought was crazy is you said, I believe that diabetes increased 38% between 1990 and 1998 alone. And it seems to be correlated with the use of GMO products in Roundup. Yeah, and it's, that's it's, the case. That's, that's insane. Well, the thing is, it's more than that. It's like, uh, since I did that book, Nancy Swanson and Stephanie Seneff have pulled together data from around the country on several diseases that they believe are theoretically tied with the increased use of GMOs around them. And I show these charts, and the charts have a slope of increase of either the amount of genetically engineered soy and corn introduced into the acreage in the U.S., or the amount of Roundup-based, Roundup herbicides sprayed on those. And the slope rises up in parallel with devastating high levels of correlation, doesn't prove causation, but it's amazing to look at, for autism, diabetes, deaths from intestinal infection, deaths from leukemia, deaths from Parkinson's, deaths from obesity, deaths from high blood pressure, deaths from Alzheimer's, ADHD, anxiety, insomnia, all these different things, and then all these digestive disorders. And we can take any one of those and look at the plausible causative pathway. For example, insomnia, right? Why would insomnia be related to GMOs and Roundup in the diet? Roundup's mode of action, according to Monsanto, and it's one of many, but they only acknowledge one, is that it blocks a certain pathway 
in plants. It's called the shikimate pathway. And they say, because humans don't have that pathway, it's safe enough to drink. It has no effect on humans. It's not true. It can kill you. So recently they discovered that the, the gut bacteria inside us uses the shikimate pathway to produce the precursors for neurotransmitters, serotonin, and dopamine. And that oh, okay. in the presence of glyphosate, that gets shut down. Now, what happens is when you serotonin, it then transfers into melatonin, which governs your sleep. So if you're not getting enough serotonin and melatonin, that could explain the anxiety, maybe the ADHD, it could explain the depression, and it could explain the insomnia and other sleep disorders. And the dopamine might explain the correlation with Parkinson's. So you have a situation where you can take a look at one particular, like, in autism or diabetes, and you can look at all the modes of action of GMOs and Roundup and say, oh, this could mean, this could be the reason why. But what's interesting is I used to, starting in 2012, um, after giving plenty of talks to medical conferences, and then the doctor started to approach me and say, I am now prescribing non-GMO diets and I'm seeing the change in my patients, I decided to ask the audiences at lectures have you noticed a change when you switch to non-GMO or, or organic food? And a bunch of people's hands went up. I said, okay, what examples? So someone would say, okay, acid reflux, irritable bowel, whatever. I said, okay, how many people noticed an improvement in digestion? And then skin conditions and kidney problems and infertility and all that. So I compiled 28 different conditions that people reported getting better from. But I also knew asking 150 lectures including two dozen medical conferences, so the people in the audience were speaking about their population of patients and not just themselves, I knew that digestion was number one. I knew that brain fog and fatigue, because I combined them, was number two. And there was weight gain and there was anxiety, etc. So I sent out a survey through the uh, responsibletechnology.org to our list. And we got 3,256 people responding to the survey. And they, wow. too, they too got better from the 28 different conditions in the same relative order that I had seen in those in those lectures. Digestion, 85.2% showed an improvement in digestion. 60% better uh, improvement in fatigue. Then it was weight problems. Then it was brain fog. Then it was anxiety and depression. Then it was allergies and, and food sensitivities. And we're still above 50%. So we have that with the people. We have it with the pets. I remember interviewing Barbara Royal, who was Oprah's veterinarian. I interviewed her. She was cool. Yeah, yeah. She she said to me, now when someone presents, she puts her patients on a new diet and says, see me in a few weeks, and up to 90% of all the problems are resolved or managed just by a change in the diet. She never considered that until after GMOs and Roundup were on the scene. And now she believes it's GMOs and Roundup that are the drivers of so many of these diseases. Is are there any, uh, well, so changing your diet obviously is the most expedient way to help yourself. Are there any other ways? Like I had read, if you take glycine, it seems to blunt the effect of, uh, of Roundup a bit. Is that true well, or do you know? Or You know, there's a lot of theories. I did interview those 18 experts for healing from GMOs and Roundup. And, you know, there's some people that recommend uh, this or that. And I, I can't endorse one particular way because it's way above my pay grade to try and take these expert genius protocols and, and chisel them down to something that I think is appropriate. I just ask them and let people hear. But if you think about it, glyphosate grabs onto minerals, making them unavailable. 
And so remineralization is helpful. It causes leaky gut. It, it roundup creates uh, the tight junctions to become loose in the gut. So you want to be able to heal that. Glyphosate also is a genotoxin, so it can cause damage to the DNA. You need to protect that. It can block the production of serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. So how do you reverse that? It can, it, it's a known antibiotic. It destroys the um, beneficial bacteria, but not the dangerous stuff in such a way that it can promote all these different diseases. So we need to support that. It's a mitochondrial toxin. And so mitochondria damage is linked to shorter life. It's linked to cancer. It's linked to fatigue. It's linked to brain problems. So you can look at all of these components as we have and come up with a regimen. But I have to say this, Richard, the number one thing is to switch to organic. And so many things can resolve because the body's own intelligence. If you have a healthy diet, you can get organic that's really high quality and you can get organic that's just kind of okay. If you can get, you know, high quality organic food so that your body has the, has the ingredients that it can use so its own intelligence can do the detoxification. While you're taking Roundup or, or in your food, your, your detox of your liver becomes hampered. Your detox of your cells become hampered. Your detox through your microbiome can become hampered. So all these other toxins can be building up in your body. But when you get out of that and your own detoxification pathways start to release, then you may find that just that by itself can end up clearing up your eczema, clearing up your brain fog. And in some cases, if the infertile couples are having kids. In the film that I did with Amy Hart called Secret Ingredients, we visited Many, many people whose lives changed dramatically when they switched to organic. But one astounding finding was in a chiropractic clinic where Dr. Marcia Schaefer put infertile couples on an organic diet as part of her chiropractic treatment and all that. And 100% of them had children. Wow. 100%. Over 100 couples so far. That's really cool. That's amazing. Yeah. How, how soon, I guess, I mean, soon doesn't matter because people will tend to eat you know, glyphosate and Roundup in all their foods for years and years. So, I mean, um, well, here's is it the a continuing thing. worsening of their condition? Like, how does it play out over time? You know, it's an interesting question. And I've asked doctors who have put people on non-GMO diets. I remember Emily Lindner. I was speaking at the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. I gave my first talk there in 2006 and then came back uh, relating GMOs to different diseases, which were the topic each year, you know, inflammation and autoimmune disease, cancer, etc. So I came back in 2009 to get an award and I brought a video camera and interviewed her and she blew my mind. She said, I put everyone, all of my patients on a non-GMO diet and they all get better. I said, what? I was very skeptical. I said, what percentage? She says, I told you they all, okay, 98%. So I was like really skeptical. I said, how many patients do you have? And she took about a minute to figure it out and then came back and said, about 5,000. And I said, can I go to your office and interview the patients? She said, sure. So that was the first of my clinical rounds, so to speak. And sure enough, I interviewed the patients and it was astounding. Now, she did other things as well. But at the same time, I started interviewing the farmers who had taken pigs and cows off of the GMOs and noticed changes in two or three days. So in the Emily told me that if someone has anxiety or depression, that can clear up almost right away. For asthma and allergies, three to seven days. For digestive disorders, maybe two months, and then she may have to rebuild it over two years. That was her with her regimen, but it's not the same. Like when I when I talk to some people, you know, 
there was a slower change and other people it was a faster change. So I can't tell anyone what to predict, but I can say this, when you switch to organic, if you really wanna do this as an experiment, then literally get a spreadsheet together and write down what percentage of organic you had that day, write down your energy level, write down your mood because you know anxiety and depression is gonna be part of it, and write down 100% of your symptoms all of them, not just the ones you think may be related because you may be surprised and rate them one to 10. And the next day do the same thing. And the next day do the same thing and go organic for a few weeks if you can, 100% if you can. But in any case, write it down and see what happens. How do you avoid GMOs and Roundup in your diet? I mean, is organic enough or is this tricky because we're all the foods you know, we're, it's in kind of the, the building blocks of a lot of the food we eat, sounds like. Well, it's interesting. Like, if you if you eat something that's non-GMO project verified, they actually make sure that if there's any of those building blocks, they're tested to make to guarantee or to ver- verify that it's not coming back contaminated above the 0.9% threshold. So there may be some low levels of contamination, but they've done their homework. They continue to do sampling and testing throughout the year. If something is organic... It's not necessarily tested, but it's not allowed to use GMOs or Roundup. So when you look at the glyphosate levels at the responsibletechnology.org report site, you will see that, for example, the oats generally for the non-organic have a very high level of glyphosate. But the oats for the organic, except in one case, which may have been some contamination, it's very little or not at all. Now, why would they be very little? And that's because the Roundup is used so much, 300 million pounds per year in the United States. It's in the air. It's in the rain. It's in water. So some level of contamination is often found in organic. So don't expect to have zero, but you do want to minimize it. And so you can, if you eat organic, and if you can't eat organic, at least eat non-GMO and avoid the big glyphosate sponges, then you're doing the best you can. And I want to say, Richard, if you if you go out to eat and you go to a wedding or you travel to a country and you have no control or you're in school or you're in a jail and you have no control, don't worry about it because worrying is toxic and the food is toxic. Now you've doubled your toxic load. Just do your best. Don't worry about it. And then try and maximize. We try and teach people tools to make it easier so they can save money, so they can save time on a organic diet. If you go to livehealthybewell.com, which is my podcast, we have the Secret Ingredients movie. We have the Healing from GMOs and Roundup Summit. We have the 90-Day Lifestyle Upgrade, which is about how to make it non-GMO and organic easily. But even if you just go and start buying organic off the shelf, or and even if you don't know how to save the money when you do it, but you're willing to invest in your health and the world in that way, people often notice a life change. In the movie Secret Ingredients, I took the my my uh, film crew to an environmental uh, medicine conference and interviewed some doctors who traditionally tell their patients to switch to organic. But I what they talked about with us is that once someone loses their autoimmune disease symptoms or loses this or feels better or the pain goes away, the fibromyalgia goes away, but then they cheat. Either they just 
forget about it or they travel. In some cases, it's just one meal. Some cases, it's a, it's a, it's a vacation. In some cases, they just go off the wagon, so to speak. Their symptoms come back and that verifies it to them. And that becomes the most convincing experience because they got clean, they got better, they changed their diet, and it's getting worse again than they know. Yeah, it makes sense. If I go out to eat at a restaurant, what's the likelihood that I'm going to be eating uh, something with Roundup or glyphosate in it or, you know, GMOs? You know, if you start shopping with the, with the support from the, from the tools at Responsible Technology at Oryx, so you learn which ingredients are most Good restaurants will cook with natural full whole ingredients. If you go to a fast food place, their processed foods into the door, they get their processed foods, which they reheat or cook. So they're going to be pretty much guaranteed to have GMOs and Roundup. But if you go to a place that cooks from scratch, then if you want to avoid the GMOs, there's going to be some hidden ones, the sugar, the the oil, they may have soy, corn, cotton, or canola oil, the soy sauce, things like that. But other than those few hidden ingredients, the salad dressing, if you avoid the corn, corn tortillas and corn, and you avoid things that have soy you'll, and potatoes, you'll be able to figure out what to order. If you have, you know, fish, if it's wild caught, it's not going to be fed pellets of genetically engineered soy as it's being raised. So there's ways of navigating it. And I have whole videos on how to do that on the site. So I'd say some people will say, well, when I go out to eat, I'm more loose. And when I'm at home, I'm very tight. And other people go, I'm starting at home and then I'm going to learn how to do it. I, I know in my area, I know which restaurants serve organic, which restaurants serve far, serve farm to table. And they're the, my go-to. It seems like most restaurants, though, you know, that get their food from companies like Cisco, et cetera, they're going to have just by definition, the stuff coming in is going to have GMO and, uh, you know, and Roundup and stuff in it. So it seems like it'd be very difficult if you want to eat out with any consistency to avoid this stuff. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't want to order oats and, you know, I used to have oatmeal in the mornings when I traveled and I don't have that unless I bring my own packet of organic instant oatmeal if I want to do that. Certain things you want to avoid because they have high uh, Roundup content. If you can get away without eating wheat, that's been sprayed with Roundup. So if you can do that, that would be helpful. The hummus was going to have the chickpeas that are sprayed. So you can you can figure it out. And the thing is, there's those people that are super sensitive and they're going to be so they're going to be writing down everything like their pens smoking by now because they get they get reactions that they can tell. So they're going to know if they've cheated a little bit. There's others that are working on conditions where they won't necessarily see an up and down on a day to day basis, but they're committed to see if this diet changes their conditions. Then there's those that don't have many conditions. They seem to have a good life and, you know, not a lot of chronic problems. They may be less likely to follow any of this advice, uh, but they may still want to try it at home to see if they get the energy and the clarity of mind because forgetfulness and other things have been also linked to, um, you know, not having an organic diet. How soon after uh, changing your diet over significantly to you know, not include GMOs and to avoid Roundup, do, you, do people feel better? What's the average time? Like I said, you know, when I talked about Emily Lindner, she said uh, anxiety and depression right away, allergies and food sensitivities, three to seven days, got digestive disorders about two months, and then it can be rebuilt over two years. But that's not everyone's experience. That's not all the practitioners' experiences. And it really, like in the film Secret Ingredients, 
I was, we were talking to one family and it was, they were a mess. They had five members of the family with 21 chronic conditions. The mother had to quit work. She was disabled. She was pretty much paralyzed. The son who had, was on the autistic spectrum. Another one had constipation and mood swings. Another one had eczema all over his body. The father had a breast cancer, a breast tumor. And she decided that maybe it's the food. So she started studying food. She's a very smart person, type A, actually brilliant. And so she started experimenting on the family, took out gluten, took out soy, took out dyes and whatnot, commercial dairy. And she was noticing that the symptoms were getting better, but she was still managing each of the categories. They were improving, but not gone. Then she learned about GMOs and Roundup, put the family on all organic. And she said, within about six weeks, the stuff that was very visible, like the skin conditions, the things that you could easily see, were gone. Then three months was another level. And within six months, they had eliminated their chronic conditions in the family. And this was an interesting experiment because she had already isolated all these other things and taken them out of the diet. So all that was left was switching to organic. And it took the, the, the son is no longer on the autistic spectrum. I mean, it was that she was there was two sons in our film that are no longer on the autistic spectrum. When they switched, it's certainly not going to happen to all autistic boys or, or girls, but it did happen in the two that were in our film. So, and then there's doctors that say, explaining why, like David Perlmutter, who wrote Grain Brain and Brain Maker, he explains the brain connection. And Michelle Perra, who's the pediatrician, talks about the experience she had in her uh, clinic with children. So it becomes pretty convincing. So if you're not yet convinced to eat organic, just watch the movie secret ingredients at livehealthybewell.com. And that's and that's also the, the movie to get your friends and your relatives to switch to organic. I know people came up to me and said, I've been trying for years to get my spouse to change. Or I've been trying for years to get my, my kids to change or my parents to change. And I showed them the film and now they're more fanatic than I am. So that that's why we wrote that and we created that film. Yeah, no, that, that's excellent. And one last thing. So uh, there's no law to require foods that contain Roundup or that are GMO to label themselves as such, right? Well, there's a fake law that USDA put in place that you can basically ignore it. It doesn't really, it hasn't been enforced yet. It's going to confuse you with what's on the label. So you want to look for organic. And if you can't get organic, at least get non-GMO project verified. But the, the law, the labeling scheme in the USDA is basically written by Monsanto. I also want to add one thing, Richard. You asked about how dangerous GMOs are getting. And I cut that conversation short because I wanted to finish up about the food. But there's something that's, and I started talking about the microbiome. On the webpage called protectnaturenow.com, we have a 16-minute film. It's my fifth film and my shortest. It's called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. And in there, we talk about a genetically engineered bacterium that was two weeks away from being released outdoors, which, according to the expert we interviewed, could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life on the planet. There's another one that was slated for release and blocked by a quartz, which could have ended up theoretically changing weather patterns. Now, That's horrible. Really? How? These are pretty serious things. There was also genetically engineered virus that was up to 24 times more more deadly than the current virus, the global virus, and that they made it airborne in a laboratory because they could. You know, it's like, what? 
What are you doing that for? You could decimate the U.S., the human population. So we have a program called Protect Nature Now, which is designed to stop the gain-of-function work on these potentially pandemic pathogens in labs, but probably more important to stop the release of any genetically modified microbe outdoors. Because even though there's these bad actors, I mean, well-meaning scientists created, you'll see in the film, it was a brilliant idea. Let's release it to farms. They can turn their crop stubble into alcohol and make money and run their tractors. Let's distribute it to all the farmers in America. If that had happened, it could have been a cataclysm for the planet. Well-meaning, just not well-informed. It had passed all the EPA tests, but they weren't good enough. But the microbiome turns out to be so complex. And the fact that if you genetically engineer a microbe, it can swap genes with so many other microbes, there's a trillion different types, that we are risking an existential threat by allowing gene-edited microbes to be released. So what we're doing now at the Institute for Responsible Technology, we've inaugurated a new global movement, Protect Nature Now. We have more than 50 organizations around the world as part of our ally structure. And we are contacting thousands of elected officials and media around the world. In fact, if you go to Protect Nature Now and you watch the film, right next to the film is a way to click and take action. You enter your your own address and all of your elected officials populate, all of your local media populate. And in a single click, you can send them whatever that latest asset is that we've loaded into the program, whether it's about gain of function, whether it's about microbes, whether it's about the need to protect soil microbes in order to sequester carbon, to, to draw down, to, to reverse climate change. All of that depends on the microbes and all of that depends on us not releasing the genetically engineered varieties so that we allow the natural varieties to do the heavy lifting. So protectnaturenow.com. I recommend that people go and watch the short video. I recommend that people go there and take action. And please donate if you can, ideally on a recurring basis, because this is an urgent situation. We need to open up offices around the world. We need to create new laws around the world, international treaties. It's on that level. And very few people know about it. And we're we're the tip of the spear right now. Yeah, they're in Europe. Are they any better with uh, GMOs and with you know various pesticides, or just as bad as the U.S.? It's better, but not good enough. So there's three categories: there's the food, there's the pesticides, and then there's the microbes. As far as the foods go, they don't grow GMOs there. Uh, most of the countries have made have banned it. There's some growing in Spain, maybe one or two in Eastern Europe, but it, by and large, they don't grow GMOs there. But they do allow it in the food supply, but the food companies committed to not allow it. They have a more rigorous labeling program by far. So companies refuse to use GMOs or they'll have to label it. And the people there know much more about it than people in the United States. So it's not illegal to eat GMOs. It's not illegal to sell it. It's just not done, except in animal feed. So the most of the animal products do have um, GMOs from the feed side. As far as pesticides go, there's a greater assessment protocol for pesticides, but it's still not strong enough. They don't evaluate the whole the whole formulation, just the so-called active ingredient. They don't look at it's it's better, but it's not perfect. And it's it, if it were stronger as it was appropriate, there'd be a lot of them taken off the market. 
As far as microbes go or gene editing, here's an interesting thing. I told you earlier that the biotech industry has convinced governments that gene editing is safe and easy and clean. They're trying to convince the EU, the UK. They're trying to convince Canada. They've already convinced the US, Australia, Argentina, Japan, Brazil. Well, the EU said, no, 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 gene editing will be treated just like GMOs. And the biotech industry freaked. So they're working with people they have on the inside and in academia to try and overcome the EU's laws to change the laws so that gene editing gets a free pass. That would mean everything that has DNA would be targeted by this cheap and easy technology, and we could replace nature in a generation. We could end up creating all sorts of genomic combinations that you can't recall, and it would be like a Wild West or a gold rush into the genome to try and get as many of patents out there and new organisms out there without any government oversight. So that could be an absolute disaster. It's better right now in the EU than the U.S., and we're trying to keep it that way in the EU and to make it even stronger all around the world. Well, very good. Well, Jeff, you mentioned resources earlier, but just to recap for the end here, what do you recommend people do to start their journey of learning about GMOs and Roundup and things like that? You know, your people, your, your listeners are listeners to podcasts. So I would say, since people are already listening to podcasts, go to Live Healthy, Be Well and uh, sign up for the podcast. But watch the movie Secret Ingredients. I'd say that for your audience, because and specifically the focus of our discussion, that's to really nail down the desire and the commitment to eat organic. And then going to responsibletechnology.org, there's all sorts of tools. Also, there's online courses at the Live Healthy, Be Well site. There's a lot of free stuff at responsibletechnology.org. And that's for getting your own house in order. And then I'd also look at the 16-minute film at protectnaturenow.com and take advantage of the Take Action button to get information to Congress. There are members of Congress now, because others have taken that step before you, who are saying, okay, we want to work with Protect Nature Now. So I'm going to go to D.C. and work with them. We're going to try and get some new laws passed. And you could support that if you'd like as a donor. So those are the three things, livehealthybewell.com, responsibletechnology.org, protectnaturenow.com. And of course, the Institute for Responsible Technology has a Facebook page and other social media venues. Well, very good. Well, Jeff, thank you for a great conversation. And I appreciate all that you do. I love the theme of your of your podcast, and I'm proud. I'm happy to be part of it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.